Hey, welcome to episode 66 of the Thodcast, Conversations About Animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from northern Minnesota. And today I'm joined by one other particular individual from southern Minnesota, from St. Paul, actually. And he is my brother, Dawson Elke. What's up, Dawson? Hey, yeah, coming to you from the King's Landing of Minnesota. It is I, Dawson Elke, and I'm happy to be here with you, Philip. Um, <laughs> I yeah. never end a sentence with, um, what am I doing? I used well, to be Well, I don't know, that's the, uh, my bad habit in radio, always trying to fill the dead space. It's a question of, do I wanna just, do I wanna just come in, be normal? Just be a normal guy, or do I wanna make a joke? You just got and I, I yeah. couldn't and so I was frozen in that space of like do I want to make a do I want to go right into making some Mandalorian reference joke about how much I cried or Pablo Hidalgo being a jerk or do I just say hi I'm Dawson it's good to be here with you oh, Philip and I think I settle on that one Pablo Hidalgo making the news hey um, are you up on all the drama no. I'm not up on all the drama I make a point of never being up on all the drama yeah. but I make a point to know at least a little bit about v the drama. Viggo Mortensen he was in that uh you know uh best picture winning film recently <laughs> what what about um, Viggo Mortensen he was in the movie that was literally called Hidalgo correct oh yeah Hidal <laughs> yes great great Way film phenomenal actor he didn't win best actor did he though uh he did not the year that um green book won uh, best picture who won best actor that year i like could not possibly i don't i don't, I don't like <laughs> I, I i might follow vaguely that stuff but i absolutely have no memory of like specifics yeah um, no totally um uh, yeah we you know want to talk about some fun stuff on this uh current year-end 2020 episode of the Thodcast, and uh it's been a fun year of podcasting uh, we haven't kept the show up throughout the entire year. I mean, we uh, we took a little break once like COVID hit and there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. Because it's really hard to record a <laughs> podcast when you're quarantined. Well, th uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I moved back to Minnesota from L.A. and it's been good to have a yeah. break um, resting up. And I don't know, it's unfortunate just not being um, in, you know, the movies, it being... Um, you know at at the movie theater seeing a lot of you know different stuff like because i i feel like i haven't really kept up with movies quite as much just being home even though like yeah well there really hasn't been as much either but i mean there have been plenty of like smaller indie movies and stuff um and I, I was expecting yeah. movie theaters to sort of phase out and be replaced by streaming i will i but i thought it would end with a whimper and not with a bang like this year has been i mean it's it's so weird to see the culture of what it means to see a movie change with a snap of the fingers um mm -hmm. and i i can't say i like it i feel like i definitely feel like something's missing not going to a theater not sitting in a in a cinema Mm -hmm. in the cinema um i don't know if as cinema is proper grammar probably not at all because even you know for being Wait. some years old and you know liking movies still not knowing exactly the right grammatic yeah. grammatical mechanics of words like cinema and being film. in a cinema yeah in a I cinema mean, in it yeah, that's because cinema is like you can there's that's a noun and a verb mm -hmm. and an adjective it's all of them. <laughs> Is it a verb? Um, 
let's see. I recently saw the movie Let Them All Talk. That might be something that gets Oscar buzz this year. I don't know. It's uh, I I like seeing indie movies at the movie theater. We did Me too. I I mean, my friends and I in L.A. like we would go out frequently, taking advantage of like our AMC movie. Uh, I guess uh, what do they call that? AMC A list. Um, and yeah, I mean. But now that I'm here, like I, I just don't like watching movies by myself that much. <laughs> um, so I do, but I, I don't, not at home. I like going, I like going out to see a movie by myself. Um, I mean, sometimes I do. You know what? I don't have any strong opinions on it because my mood changes on the day. But most of the time, if I'm home alone and I have time to kill, I'll, I'll pick a video game over a show or a movie. Um, you know, and there's just I haven't had a lot of hype behind any films lately that i've like wanted to see yeah exactly. almost almost none um weirdly other than tenet kind of just because christopher nolan oh yeah um, um yeah that was good i saw that. and I, I have a lot of hype for older movies there's so many there's such a backlog that i haven't seen so if i'm gonna watch a movie it's not it's not gonna be a new one it's gonna be you know any of the umpteenth on my list yeah i, I saw tenet in theaters and i saw um first class no uh what are they called <laughs> the uh the x-men the new mutants the psych ward film yeah um literally a bottle film in a, in a psych ward uh <laughs> it uh yeah and I haven't seen any other movies in a theater since covid hit uh and everything shut down again in minnesota so who knows when it'll be uh before i go back but I'm, you know i live in a small town up here so um it's it's a little bit isolated insulated from uh the worst of the pandemic so hopefully things will start to get rolling again uh crack open for too long yeah oh goodness Um, despite films not happening much in my life and in general shows new star wars yes and uh it's been um over a year since we got the debut of the first live action Star Wars uh, television program uh, created by John Favreau uh, and with the creative involvement of one of the people who has been spearheading Star Wars in television ever since um, its inception on the small screen. Uh, Dave Filoni, I, I guess I George Lucas's apprentice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess technically the first Star Wars television show was, you know, Ewoks slash droids. That was, I guess, back in the Nelvana days of um, the 1980s. Uh, we did discuss a Nelvana show or a film, Rock and Rule, <laughs> earlier this year, which was a highlight for me. Um, but yeah, uh, in the modern era of Star Wars and, you know, in keeping with the, the canon, um, yeah, we, uh, we had, uh, Star Wars, the Clone Wars and then Rebels, um, executive produced by George Lucas and Dave Filoni, um, Rebels, was that even, I don't think Lucas really had anything to do with that. He maybe 
maybe in the earliest days of if that? If Filoni had anything to do with it, George Lucas probably had a little bit, at least a little bit to do with it because Dave mm-hmm. and George are tight. They talk and mm-hmm. George Lucas, will, he'll come in and direct an episode here or there or he'll, you know, come up with a character design. He'll, mm-hmm. he'll, yeah. He's, he's, been, he, mm-hmm. he's been on the set of Mandalorian a few times. Um, what, uh, you know, pop quiz, like what was Dave Filoni up to before Star Wars, the Clone Wars? Do you remember? Bada-ba-bum-bing, Avatar The Last Airbender. <laughs> Yep. What is Avatar The Last Airbender? <laughs> well, it's one of the best shows of the Oh, I was, I was making a Jeopardy. That was a rhetorical question. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, sorry about that. But... <laughs> no, no problem. Yeah. You're correct, uh, though, about that. Mm-hmm. No. Um, we uh, were treated to The Mandalorian, of course, last year on Disney+. Plus. Uh, the, kind of the, it's kind of cool that that was the flagship of the this massive streaming rollout sort of changing the landscape of media consumption as we know it uh disney is kind of the largest behemoth within the you know um, film industry slash entertainment industry uh netflix is is a close competitor in that regard but like they don't have that prestige of being like a major film studio um, so who knows when exactly Disney might, you know, be threatened with, uh, <laughs> um, losing their, their hold, uh, their stranglehold on the entertainment industry, Dawson, any, any thoughts about that? Well, without <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt here to bust the trusts, yeah. I don't see it. I don't see it happening. Um, <laughs> I think Disney is the galactic empire of the entertainment industry and of potentially every industry. Um, and uh, I think that yeah. will be for both good and ill, depending on the situation and depending on the industry. Because well, they're not a telecom, thankfully, which other companies like uh, Universal with Comcast and uh, Warner Brothers, you know, the Warner Media with uh, AT&T, like those are some yeah dubious pairings you could say i I don't know i'm not gonna hate on telecoms i don't have enough knowledge of any of that stuff to hate on anything really Mm -hmm. um uh, and also i mean you know i don't really care who's in charge of phones as long as the phones work (laughs) i mean it'd be nice if things were not designed with obsolescence in mind what's the technical term Uh, um um, yeah obsolescence yeah and like well, cable, those are they're the major cable companies to uh, cable providers. And I don't care about cable. I don't have it. I probably mm-hmm. never will. And most a lot of people are cutting it in favor of just streaming services. So, well, yeah, those those are the sorts of companies that run the risk of like going the way of Blockbuster because of their resistance to, you know, shifts in the, the industry landscape. Um other like um i guess radio shacks and the example like oh. you know other yeah just these giant companies sears corporate you know rip <laughs> uh in fact and disney like, doesn't have that problem because disney yeah. is the company that is of the future of the world of tomorrow yeah and they'll always be with us sorry this, and this is kind of an ad hoc episode i wanted to talk mandalorian but also sort of make it a, a bit of a 2020 wrap up too unfortunately we didn't oh, get anything did? out oh you didn't tell me that well, no i, I mean want... it, that's literally what it is because we're recording this at the very at the tail yeah, end of i don't 2020. want to do a 2020 wrap up though no i'm, I'm not <laughs> saying we are we're just not going to strictly like 
um well, we never format do the show on topic or yeah format. yeah we're we're okay to stray into some other topics but you know we didn't come with a very concrete structure um but no i'm, I'm gonna have a lot of fun just uh riffing on things like mandalorian and like the state of um streaming and in media consumption in 2020 the year of covid <laughs> right uh, yeah i don't know how i mean i'm certainly not qualified though to be able to like we talk about mandalorian we talk about the mm-hmm. a show in and just like talking about mm-hmm. that show and then how informatively i could drift from the show and into the wider politics and and business going on at play surrounding it i mean yeah my my um level of knowledge will will taper off probably pretty quickly but i'm you know i'm all i'm just all about conjecture and guessing well and and like level of enthusiasm too might not might be a little limited when it comes to all that stuff too i i um totally understand and um but yeah the i my enthusiasm for mandalorian was pretty um solid all the way through like it i i don't i won't consider it like anything that i glommed on to too heavily um at least Same. yeah I, I i don't know um i i really enjoyed the entire run um but uh, are you, you know, talking I, about season one or or season two or both uh okay. seasons one and two um but i just thought it was it was a nice kind of breath of fresh air overall yeah um Mandalorian uh, the first season you know it was like wow this is new and interesting to see to see them doing this and I was kind of like after the whole thing was over I was just sort of like mm, nice you know mm-hmm. um no strong feelings um and yeah and then season two I was like okay and yeah my enthusiasm has diminished um by the by the end diminished I don't know how significantly I am I'm pretty ambivalent about this sure. series as a whole. Um, you know, there's there's things that are, you know, really amazing about it. And then in a lot of ways, I <laughs> there are things that I don't uh, I find it. I'm I would just fin- I watched the the season two gallery documentary today. OK. And you know, I love it's amazing. The amount of people, the amount mm-hmm. of creative minds, the amount of work, the amount of effort that goes into the design, into the art, mm-hmm. into all the minutia of technical detail. And it's an insane amount of work. Mm-hmm. And then the story for me was lackluster. But hmm. that's my beginning. Yeah. That's my that's my opening statement. And I'm I'm not a guy with a whole lot of hot takes or strong opinions necessarily, but that's Mm-hmm. where i stand well yeah i uh, you know any kind of fiction is you know probably getting harder and harder for me to really treat with too much reverence as i get older like i i like keeping things a little bit at arm's length but then again yeah. i i do a podcast with where i talk skepticism about skepticism and <laughs> like are you gonna hurt me later like um, i'm i'm not worried about that no, no i i just like i i have a hard time you know um just getting too enthusiastic about any one thing in particular i just i like to take it all in you know um and i i i love star wars i I always love star i i don't get angry when something is 
lackluster at all i mean well, i it's, getting angry is such a pointless thing to but fanboys do like yeah a lot of fans i feel feel betrayed or upset when something doesn't go i mean a lot of people didn't like the new warner uh wonder woman movie i don't know it put me to sleep i i yeah. i can't fault it for that i it was relaxing <laughs> i have <laughs> that's that's high praise for anything these days it was relaxing uh mm -hmm. it was as wonder woman asmr no mm -hmm. uh i um i haven't seen it yet i don't have it i have no I, I mean i need to obviously i don't want to um you know i, I don't have a lot of for various reasons very little hype going into it um i think just the title i it's that title is a symptom it is expressive of a symptom happening right now the title of our movie is wonder woman 1984 <laughs> shut up I'm, I'm so annoyed with you um and i'm annoyed with cyberpunk 27 because the title of your story is not the title of a story it's a genre oh, 2077 after well and then the year 20 the year 2077 i don't really care about that number very much other than that it's they they took the year from the fallout universe for whatever reason oh. um and it ha i mean 77 has nice symmetry i suppose um tricentenary is what mm -hmm. it would be um or almost the tri a year after the tricentenary of the united states hmm. um i so i don't care about that number but just we love the 80s 1984 mm. and we love cyberpunk you know but compare a title like blade runner to a title like cyberpunk and i just people the storytelling mode is weird seems weird these days and i don't know i don't have well, a lot of deep thoughts about that but and if if um, wonder woman 1984 was almost like they were trying to do an adaptation of george orwell's 1984 i would have been a bit intrigued it, it really didn't attempt anything like that i didn't feel no it um, will, yeah and i it says 1984 so that immediately immediately yeah you're like oh the book 1984 but more but more i didn't actually really think about that that much just from the the colors and the trailer and the titles and then 1984 it's not as much like i wasn't expecting orwellian comparisons as much as just this is an 80s movie this will take place in the oh. 80s and it'll be full of 80s nostalgia i thought um, they meant 1984 specifically and it was oh. trying to be like a meta com commentary which it was a little bit i mean anything that's set in the 80s nowadays is going to have some commentary on you know militarism and um you know mindless consumerism things like that mindless <laughs> but um, um you know it's, but it's a certain a, sense of, of but, a, but a certain heart and purity as well uh, sure uh, uh yeah a hopefulness um yeah pop culture the the in its uh zenith i don't know like uh nascency maybe because like think people got excited about pop culture in that decade and since then everyone's continued to stay and get excited about pop culture from that decade in a way that yeah. just hasn't been repeated since it was um, it was the dawn of like monolithic pop culture i feel mm. um and then nowadays uh, before then it there just wasn't quite a, a static like base of pop culture i i don't think that no, people well, really pop, pop culture is new people yeah. haven't you know had enough uh free time um leisure time to pay attention to anything like pop culture um 
Yeah, people didn't really form communities around it. Yeah, like they started to in the 1980s, and then nowadays things are much more diverse. And you know, you, I guess we still have those few select things though that the entire culture kind of coalesces around. And Star Wars, you know, Mandalorian is one of those kind of rare examples. Well, and that's what's fascinating. Like it, Star Wars was that. And so then as they continue to make it, as they continue to process and elaborate upon this, this thing, this monolithic thing, what happens, um, you know, and I don't, yeah, it's, well, we it's, should just talk about, we should just talk about the show and our, and our field before we, you know, philosophize too much, I guess, because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm out of practice philosophizing about Star Wars. Um, <laughs> well, I, I yeah, really stopped caring in a lot of ways, but no, and, and I'm, um, yeah, like we did talk a little bit about, um, the uh, Lego Star Wars holiday special, and that was sort of the closest thing we've gotten so far to an immediate follow up to episode nine, The Rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. And I really like episode nine, Rise of Skywalker, and I really like episode eight, The Last Jedi. And I'm kind of a, a rare bird in the fact that I feel very enthusiastic about both of those films. Um, and I just like how different they are and how they explore mysticism and the force in unique and diverse ways that I think is fitting of just the whole concept of the mystical realm of Star Wars and, and how that takes you just on such sheer and utter mind meld and mind trips uh, or how it has the potential to do that, uh, really breaking down any rational perception of reality Oh God! Once Everything you reach is is really disgusting to me. Um, yeah, but I, I, have, I don't blame I have, you because it's not in most people's experience. But it is Star in the Wars and the the fourth as mis mind melding. What are you talking about? Mind meld. Mind meld is a Star Trek thing, not a Star Wars thing. Melding. Uh, well, I I guess more just like melding with the singularity of the universe. Uh, with the the way that force has the ability to connect people across space and time, and you see things like that in in the sequel trilogy with you know Ray and uh, Kylo Ren force timing and and like the they're sending objects through space uh, <laughs> with the with those crazy uh, powers that you see in Rise of Skywalker um, and and briefly in uh, the Last Jedi. And uh, I mean, I, I, I really enjoy that stuff. It's, it's um, you know, it, it was new and inventive. And I see just a lack of, um, you know, consideration for, uh, and I, I, I will yeah, say, maybe I will say that yeah, like, I, I do not bow down to the idol of world building the way that some people do. That word, mm -hmm. that word, that term is very heavy um, some people, you know, it just, it causes all kinds of, you know, whatever, but Star Wars, what have we seen? What do we know? What exists? What is the world that exists and yeah. what do we know about it? Well, and, and so, and it's obviously frustrating for, you know, for thousands of years and order of Jedi Knights who, mm -hmm. and Sith who have studied the force, they're masters of the force. They've been exploring the force for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And they've developed techniques that have, that are consistent. Like there's, you know, we know um, the way things work and how they work. And obviously there's room for discovery or whatever, well, but some you know, abilities, within, some might consider to be unnatural. Um, right. Sure. Um, 
and then just the the new sequel has no concern or regard or respect for anything that came before so um well, and that's frustrating but i <laughs> i you know i don't i don't have the angry hate uh, for them that some people do i have a very emotionless um disdain for the sequels hmm. um yeah I, I mean the creators you know we're trying to do you know pay their respects to what had come before and at the same time there was that very deliberate attempt to distance uh those films from their immediate cinematic predecessors in the uh, prequel trilogy uh, they, there was the perception that a lot of the public didn't want something that paid too close resemblance to the prequel trilogy uh, they wanted the feeling of the originals. And, and so, and you yeah. Can, that... And you can overcorrect. You can go, oh, there was too much politics in the prequels. So let's not explain one iota the political structure or system happening in mm -hmm. the world as it stands 30 years after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, no, so, true. yeah, uh, that's an over, that was an um, overcorrection that's immensely irritating um, to me. You know, the, the, you... the New Republic versus and the Resistance. What are these things? Why yeah. are they there? Why are they doing what they're doing? Um, why does it um, not make any sense that the First <laughs> Order launches the Star Forge, blows up seven planets right next to each other, and then all of a sudden owns the entire galaxy? It's just, it's, it's moronic. I mean, there's no, uh, the whole, ah, now I'm, now yeah, I am getting frustrated because when you, the more I think about just, you know, what they, the decisions they made in those films, it's just baffling. Um, yeah. Uh, um, anyway. Yeah. The, <laughs> what, what was that? Um, Hosnian Prime was the, the capital of the New Republic at that time. And they blew up the, the star, star because system. Because it's, it's not Coruscant. Uh, Why? Um, it's Hosnia. Why they just because, yeah, of course, you can see it from you can corruption. see it from uh Maz Kanata's castle. Why they're all they were all right next to each other. Why, why is there? Is yeah, this, I, I, there, yeah I it's it's broken. I like, the, I like the ideas of or the idea that you could have like an artificial uh planetary system in Star Wars where like you have multiple planets in close proximity that are all inhabited. Uh, because like they use tractor beams to tow them in range of you know their celestial this the so you know this sun that is feeding the system you know is capable of hosting multiple planets if you want to engineer it in such a way um but i mean all the, all that's very sci-fi you know e uh, okay, so even if you did this star killer base blew up those seven planets and not toppled the entire galactic structure, which we know is, you know, vast and yeah, and left um, Maskanada's planet alone, I guess, because um, BB eight and Ray were the uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. It has um, the, the location of Luke Skywalker, which Kylo Ren wants. But um, I'm I'm and I'm more than happy to like have my frustration or just, you know, rub my head like what what why were the, the decisions, the decision making process of creating the story of the sequels, you know, that's what's baffling to me. But I am more than happy to say like but holy cow, how cool was this and that mm -hmm. uh, to a point or like, you know, I, well, it's the work, the work, it, the work, like watching the season two documentary again, the work that goes, the artists, what they make, the, the models they build, the sets they build, the costumes they mm -hmm. build, like, that's just the stuff that they nail, they nail. Well, I mean, almost without fault, mm -hmm. it's in extraordinary. And then but then the story that they're telling and, and for me, Mandalorian, um, 
I kind of yeah. dropped the ball in a in, in a really a lot of places that by the end I just the the veneer sort of got lifted off and I'm like this okay. is um did you uh watch rebels by chance I did not okay and that introduces like one of the most esoteric concepts in all of Star Wars this is the Dave Filoni's kill switch um Dave Filoni's uh, emergency um <laughs> what I, i'm trying to find the 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 singularity maybe the like if i want to make any decision in this universe no matter how gregarious i can invoke this fail fail safe that's the word sure dave filoni's fail safe he's like this is my the moment i get permission to cancel the sequels all i have to do is press this button and it all goes away it's, uh, it's his tesseract or his, his um... yeah you, the the gauntlet of the infinity gauntlet yeah um, so i'm I, i'm profoundly annoyed by by rebels and even some of the things clone wars does um but I, yeah i mean i'm i'm kind of okay i i think the universe has a lot of rules i'm talking about like our universe you know mm -hmm. it has a lot of rules that are beyond like our you know organic life form you know limited brains ability to perceive things and comprehend things um so if if there are creatures or beings that are capable of messing with our reality like matrix style or you know uh, spaces between spaces uh, to invoke uh, indiana jones for you know creatures like that you know that that are on a higher plane um you know that then that's okay it's just you know it's hard to engage with that kind of thing on a narrative yeah. level it, it it is and the star wars universe was one where like so they had advanced that like technology was advancing but not to the point that they were cracking dimensions really um other yeah. than i don't you know however whatever system of faster yeah. than light travel they have. Um, well, and it's like, if you do to what end, like what, who does that benefit? Like to be able to travel through time or into an alternate reality. If you're, you're like Rick Stan Sanchez portal hopping through the universe. I mean, who, that it just all does nothing but render your life sort of meaningless and inconsequential. Um, so it's better to just be content with, with sort of the material world that we are, given mm -hmm. i mean uh, i <laughs> sure i the, yeah talking about universes multi multiverses and stuff is so i, I don't know well I that's that's kind of the direction they're heading in obsession with it yeah yeah, yeah with the is. mcu as, well as with the right and that's hmm. yeah or the dc universe too i mean the comics have kind of gone there and i you can tell the compelling stories within those confines um but it, yeah it's it's um you know it's just a a trippy um thing that you don't want to get too bo bogged down with um so oh, yeah i would agree that's a good succinct way of, of how i feel about multiverses mm -hmm. but you know maybe there are people who just have a, a higher stomach and capacity like oh yeah the more complicated the better like the, you know people who <laughs> People who are wild about comics because that's what that's what comics are. I always assumed that mm -hmm. comics were just they're all there are so many stories. Some are connected to each other, some aren't. And then, but apparently, all of them can be connected in some way yeah. via the the idea of the multiverse. Yeah. And it's 
It's disturbing. Yeah, in a me, couple of but... years, we'll be getting Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, for example. And yeah, so it's it's on the horizon. Oh, oh dear. Um, I I'm excited personally, but uh, yeah, I can if it's divisive. I totally understand. It's just like at least we're gonna have to have a balance of traditional stories and those that really just push the the gas, you know, on the meta narrative type stuff. Um, and there'll be an audience for both, hopefully. Yeah, and it's weird to just think, you know, as a as a single human being with a life that is continuing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's um, a lot of old films and shows I've never seen. There's a lot of books I haven't read, and like, mm-hmm. so I, I look back at the past and what already exists and what's like gotten us to where we are today versus what is being made and produced at this massive exponential rate. It's, um, yeah. it's daunting. I mean, everything's got this, the, everything, everything has this weird level of dauntingness about it that I don't think I felt as a kid. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, that's, what's great about the Mandalorian is that it is a simple story at its heart. Um, I enjoy just kind of the dynamic of, um, you know, the lone wolf and cub, you know, story, the samurai kind of traditional Akira Kurosawa iconography um, and and this, con- you know, notion of bounty hunting that we were introduced to in the original Star Wars trilogy fairly early on. And that we um, never see in The Mandalorian beyond the first season. <laughs> yeah, I mean... There, With the guess... bizarre concept of fobs. I don't, yeah. un- I don't understand fobs. I, like... I was annoyed with them right when they were introduced. Where it's like, all right, Mando, or like, you're a bounty hunter and you want to find your target. Take this fob; it'll lead you right to him. It's like, what <laughs> is that? <laughs> so um, I'm kind of cool with Star Wars being a combination of like really um, intense, like sci-fi concepts combined with really grounded. Just you know, we're we're all just people trying to make our way through the universe sorts of narratives um because i i think in star wars like the these organic life forms have in some ways reached the pinnacle of technology as it applies to like material existence um and all they're doing is trying to find a balance and a way to integrate the two um they have technology that allows them to propel propel themselves through the stars you know through alternate dimensions that enable ultra light travel um and in that sense like they probably also have the capability to you know manipulate time and matter and it's just it gets to be too much and organic life forms that form the basis of that society probably prefer to just keep things simple we want to travel through space so we can visit our families and other on other planets, but we don't want to deal with all the crazy other medical metaphysical implica- implications of like AI and of transdimensional warp and things like that. So it, it the universe does remain fairly grounded and fairly consistent to yeah, like the Star- reality that we experience right. here. Star on Wars Earth. isn't it's not concerned with you know if I go if I go really fast do I go back in time? No, it's like it's just. Mm-hmm. It's just taking everything tangible and relatable yeah. and modern life and just and and kicking it up a notch. And like know, no one fat. would want that. You, FT, you want yeah. to end up right where you left off right when you let when you first jumped to hyperspace. Right. Yeah. Faster than light travel or hyperspace, all, all it is in Star Wars is going really fast. Mm-hmm. That's that's all it is. And um 
yeah, it's no, it's so it's, it's interesting. Like, like if, if you have these tracker devices that are capable of picking up on somebody's DNA, you know, chain code or something within a certain range, maybe it's several parsecs. Um, you know, I, that that's okay. It's interesting. It's conceivable within the confines of like the sci-fi universe that that would be possible. Um, yeah, it's never and I don't really remember. I had, it's been a while since I've seen season one, so like I don't remember everything about how the fobs work. But just I yeah. mean, eventually, all the none of the bounty hunters care at a certain <laughs> point in season one, and then in season two, there's no bounty hunting at all. Um, so they really, yeah, I it's in it's interest. The direction that they chose to go with the Mandalorian is is sort of interesting. I think everyone was really excited to see a story about about bounty hunting, um, but then immediately it became the lone wolf and cub um story and you know we really don't see mandalorian as the hardened you know bounty hunter who you know what are his values and his morals are they uh, there isn't i don't think he has much of an arc uh, to be honest um i don't i don't really you see him care about the child immediately and continue to care about the child until the end um See, I, I'm really compelled by his ideological struggle with his belief system. And like the fact that you find out he's sort of a member of this subset of Mandalorian culture that's more viewed as like a cult by the, you know, by the bulk of that culture. And we don't know that we don't know anything about. Um, we don't. Yeah. People pop in and say, all right, Mando, your views are sort of cultish. And then that same person goes on to be like, nope, I can't take the sword to rule the planet unless I kill you. It's like, yeah, faulty <laughs> here. Like, and then it's, I don't know if you've seen this, but this is just because like, I like to assume the best of, you know, storytellers and, and Dave Filoni working on his own thing. Have you seen the videos of Rebels of Bo-Katan becoming the leader of Mandalore? Because Sabine says, here's the Darksaber. And Bo-Katan goes, hey, thanks. <laughs> have you seen that i heard that I, so, I, uh, yeah I yeah i don't you remember. can watch you can watch the whole scene where it's literally sabine saying i am yeah. choosing to give you the dark saber so that because you deserve to rule mandalore and bo katan in yeah. in a full like there's a there's a whole bunch of mandalorians watching this happen too mm -hmm. like watching this peaceful transfer of power yeah um so then that's completely subverted yeah i saw this that's yeah a while. a while ago yeah it's because um the the whole Mandalorian society is in upheaval since the Empire rose to power and that the Mandalorians just in general are kind of screwy, I think. I agree. Uh I mean, are we supposed to are is an average Star Wars fan supposed to have a completely solid grasp on what Mandalore is, what it's been through, and who Mandalorians are? Because I Absolutely definitely not. do not. Okay, yeah, I do not. Um I remember the glory days when Boba Fett was cool and mysterious and his armor was called Mandalorian armor and it was really good. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, nice. That's it. I was so, and I don't, I think I, I don't even remember when it was when the whole Mandalorian concept was elaborated upon, but I remember even, you know, in my early years, just being very deflated that there was a whole planet of people who looked like Boba Fett. Gosh, that mm. was disappointing. Um. <laughs> yeah, I and I guess as of the prequel era, you know, they haven't um, maintained their warriors ways 
uh, as a planet generally, but there are certain segments that that do hold to those traditions. Um, and they've and that, all got this armor, this yeah. incredible, life-changing, world-changing armor and metal and that they make spears out of and armor out of and the Empire can't, there's not enough of it to go to, I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, I, I don't think there are necessarily that many people who wear the armor in the galaxy. Um, it's just sort of this revered uh, tradition. I mean, hundreds, well, I mean, all Mandalorians, presumably have this armor don't they like that's the in i mean there are scenes of there are scenes of rebels where like like the courtroom um, scene where they're standing you know bo katana standing in front of a crowd of dozens many dozens of and they're all wearing it they're all wearing mandalorian yeah um yeah it's just sort of a sort of aesthetic that they have uh among their government and what there are like royal guards that have sort of the mandalorian style armor maybe there's uh, an alloy that's like not perfectly maybe maybe pure beskar is the really rare thing and yeah. then there's like a there's a beskar other you know durasteel hybrid that is more common and not as good i don't know yeah i mean you just have to not think about it too hard <laughs> um but yeah like the whole like to say it but yeah <laughs> yeah when did the whole mythos surrounding the dark saber and the fact that it had to be like one in combat in order to rule the mandalorians come about because that wasn't what happened in rebels clearly um i may maybe it was because uh when sabine surrendered the dark saber in that instance it was in a more public setting and so it, it had the ability to be um legitimized more fully than if you know mysteriously uh Bo-Katan were to suddenly end up with the dark saber and people would be you know doubtful about the circumstances well how did she lose it i mean yeah. if you're if a whole crowd of mandalorians is watching Bo-Katan take the lightsaber peacefully then presumably a bunch of people would have gone oh i love that that's a great and then someone yeah. Mm, yeah that's not the mandalorian way and that probably created factions or you know there was dissent i don't know mm -hmm. uh, whatever yeah. but i mean i think the society has pretty much been largely dispelled by the empire and so they need someone you know strong to come in and pick up the pieces uh, and Bo-Katan has so far been unsuccessful in doing so. Uh, if she were able to say she claimed the lights, the dark saber in combat from the uh, Imperial pretender, um, you know, that, that would imbue her with a greater sense of legitimacy. Uh, and I think the fact that her colleague, uh, I can't remember, Sasha Banks, you know, um, she's there, she's a witness. Uh, she would know that it was Din Djarin who won the Darksaber from Moff Gideon <laughs> um, and that he's he should be the rightful ruler of Mandalore. He should have uh, just given the Darksaber <laughs> back to Moff Gideon and said, okay. <laughs> Uh, here you go, fight him. Uh, I thought that was a, a badass moment when Moff Gideon tried to off himself and then Cara Dune intervened. I thought that was pretty sick. Yeah, I, I always like to see a guy. I mean, I don't know why they were keeping 
him alive so long i mean I, i'm because presumably information uh or yeah. you know because he's an important target that mm -hmm. luke skywalker didn't care about at all clearly um uh grand admiral thrawn is still grand alive Ad um i don't know yeah thrawn he's gonna be the he's gonna be the big bad villain of the star wars cinematic universe of this era which is what most of these shows are gonna be about i think there, there are other warlords out there presumably um, so yeah, I'm glad. I like. I uh, I would be happy to see uh, Giancarlo Esposito return. I think he's a great presence to have in any show. Uh, I normally you, agree. Yeah. His Moff Gideon is. I don't know. He's a <laughs> he's a little guy in Darth Vader armor, and um, <laughs> yeah, um, we never see him in like a traditional Imperial officer uniform, do we? I I kind of wish we no. did. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he likes to be at the ready for you know his piloting or something. <clears throat> Assume I know everything, and I know you fired your oh, salvo. Yeah, yeah. And he, the way um, he talked and narrated the whole thing, like you guys should, you know. And he's like, he he was Mister Bad Guy. Oh, the dark troopers are going to come get you. And oh, Bogatan, she can't take the dark saber, you know, because of, uh, yeah, he was he got really annoying to me. I was wondering, yeah, like if he was going to um, you know, be reasonable with the Mandalorian and turn over, you know, young Grogu and um in exchange for his life or whatever you know mando said he was just going to take um grogu and leave um and uh instead uh he, gideon immediately attacked him like the mustache mustache twirling villain yeah. <laughs> that he kind of is i assume you know everything you'd think you'd he'd know how beskar works and you'd think he'd tack a part that wasn't beskar <laughs> with oh well, it, yeah just like weird silly th decisions all throughout the story that just make it seem like they were just interested in doing things that people would think are cool I mean, Boba Fett is a good example of that. Um, I don't know. I have very little enthusiasm for the show. I'm sorry. Oh. I, I hate being, and I don't, you know, I don't know, what am I? I'm, I'm bad at having these discussions. So many people on the internet mm -hmm. are, you know, have these discussions all the time and more, I don't know. I'm just, I, well, I, I don't have the enthusiasm to do a deep analysis to figure out exactly what yeah. I think about in the documentary, we yeah, we got to see the cool um like behind the scenes details of like the fight choreography. Uh Tamara Morrison, who plays Boba Fett. No, he played Django Fett, of course. He's from Maori descent and he uses a traditional fighting style. Uh yeah, when, the cool uh, fight choreography that was kind of all bad in my opinion opinion because stormtroopers were nothing and worthless <laughs> and garbage and people and just making the robert rodriguez episode with the stormtroopers who just run out of the of the um landers and have no coordination or no tactics and the um the way they, I mean, there's, there are literally shots that show stormtroopers with ranged weapons hmm. running toward Boba Fett and his melee weapon without <laughs> shooting so that they can get within range for him to, to beat them up. It's, 
It's embarrassing. Yeah, I know. Like, and I know it's it's supposed. It looks cool. Here's Boba Fett whacking people with a goffy stick, which most people had no idea what that was. They're like, oh, he's got this cool club. Mm-hmm. So I knew it was a goffy stick right away. Um, and just just dumb. This, these stormtroopers are so useless. <laughs> None of the battles had any stakes whatsoever. I, you just knew this. the heroes were going to sweep through and annihilate all the stormtroopers, except for then in episode the 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 bill burr episode this penultimate one mm-hmm. where they arrive back at the stormtrooper base and the stormtroopers all run forward and just annihilate all those pirates without missing a shot hmm. um no i i'm very uh, very disheartened with how the show has handled stormtroopers um hmm. kind of a well yeah. yeah i mean it's uh they're kind of just cannon cannon fodder um and yeah the heroes are the ones who you know show the most um you know the most skill and competency with uh, their combat skills they can just walk through corridors and <laughs> and blast stormtroopers and the amount of wow. hits mandalorian takes all on his conveniently armored bits <laughs> ish well um yeah i mean it's uh, meant to be a crowd pleaser and that might be some of the you know the complaints that i have yeah it's, it's yeah. maybe a, a bit um populist but eh, i mean right. a lot of the iconography is cool it's it looks good um the oh, yeah. a lot of the effects are rendered quite well they built some actual models yeah um, that was awesome mm-hmm. to see uh, the slave one it's really cool the slave one set inside the volume they you know re uh create like the interior um and, and shifting around the <laughs> characters as the the ship launches um yeah i don't know i so with cool. with all these with insane. these shows yeah it's, there's a mythical quality to the characters that imbues with them with the sense of like destiny and um purpose that allows them to overcome kind of any obstacle and uh, stormtroopers and other enemies are just sort of minor inconveniences <laughs> along the way oftentimes um, because they represent just a, uh, a certain malaise that has infected the galaxy in the world of star wars and you know these stormtroopers they maybe have military training but they don't have that um the will of the force that uh, uh, that stands behind them um in that yeah narrative i guess uh so the yeah okay (laughs) i appreciate what you're trying to do i I think destiny is a powerful force if you don't believe in it then that's your issue but no yeah it is a powerful force so then it's what's inspiring is when you see heroes overcome forces that are highly competent highly skilled Mm -hmm. and should have everything it takes to kill you and to watch you have to be clever or smart or be Mm -hmm. work that much harder to overcome them not just i mean they're they're just wiping the floor with these these are soldiers of the empire they're they're stormtroopers who who caught these this is the this is the military the what should be the highest trained military in the world and they 
they in that that stupid scout trooper scene where the show mm-hmm. the showrunners are like, hey, you know the funny meta joke about how stormtroopers can't hit anything? Let's show them up close not hitting things. And it's and the old yeah, the original trilogy has issues with characters and plot armor to a certain point, but at mm-hmm. least they did show the it opens with stormtroopers boarding a rebel blockade runner and annihilating the rebels. And mm-hmm. on Hoth, they annihilate the rebels and the and the officers are 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 competent except when they're not and then they suffer consequences for not mm-hmm. being competent deep consequences and there it it there's so much more back believable back and forth in the original trilogy where um you know and on in on endor yeah it's it's annoying that the empire gets annihilated by a bunch of ewoks sure but you also see a stormtrooper hit leia like leia does take a hit she mm-hmm. take or a hero does take a shot in the arm um, you know, they're at least trying. There's a, you know, um, the Empire yeah. felt like a threat. The Empire felt like a threat. It felt like something daunting that was going to be difficult to overcome. And many, many heroes die and sacrifice their lives to get, and not a, I mean, Nick Nolte's character died in the last mm-hmm. season of Mandalorian, which was, you know, sad. But in this season, you see scout speeder bikes launch themselves off a cliff and smack into each other and blow up like just a bunch of utter buffoons. And, and that's it, kind of the it, point. No, so no. The, the, and that's stupid. The Empire is the, just a shadow of its former self. Um, yeah, so it's it's a very disorganized uh, operation at this point. Um, but yeah, it's just it's disorganized, but it's trying not to be. It's trying to, I mean, put itself back together. Like the remnant, the people who are still alive and kicking should have a degree of uh, some degree of knowledge of what they're doing. But and and they're clearly, you know, Moff Gideon. Ooh, he's intimidating. He's wearing a cape, and you know mm-hmm. this. Uh, or we hired that one actor from that one show to be to you know hold down hold down the fort stormtroopers mm-hmm. the, the good guys are coming through okay mm-hmm. let's just stand out in the open and wait for them um yeah. and no it it's so it just munch your popcorn and enjoy watching good guys <laughs> schlock the back bad guys just like they're nothing i mean sure if that's if that's what you're into that's pretty cathartic but yeah i mean no we'll no, see because boba because <laughs> is boba fett a badass for wiping out a bunch of these stormtroopers no he's not he might as well be any any old schmuck wiping out these stormtroopers who run into his goffy stick you know there's no it you're not you're not a, a badass for doing something easy you're a badass for doing something heroic and difficult and surmounting you know a tremendous mm-hmm. obstacle yeah anyway i don't so. know uh he, yeah he shows off feats of athleticism that i think few people generally are capable of but uh it's pretty easy to hit things that aren't hitting back not necessarily easy to shatter armor and uh actually inflict mortal blows on other soldiers well i mean we've seen ewoks with arrows pierce stormtrooper armor so maybe hitting breaking it with a coffee stick isn't that hard <laughs> yeah uh, um, who knows, what that what stormtrooper armor is it made out of it's oh my gosh I don't, <laughs> yeah I, I guess some of those ewoks were just really skilled with their uh, bows and arrows yeah um, well and i and I, I i buy that to a point but they were also you know using so many rocks just like you know rocks dropping <laughs> them on people's heads and 
you know, because like that's I'm I'm not I'm not all against the Ewoks and Return of the Jedi the way some people are, because like mm-hmm. you they they were using they well, that's a great example of like, you know, what do we have that can beat this far superior force? I mean, mm-hmm. they had to be really clever to think of um, uh, use it like the logs to blow to break the ATST mm-hmm. and um, the uh, uh, or the well, they had to hijack it. You see them, you see them failing. You see them mm-hmm. drop rocks on an ATSD, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work. And it's like, okay, that didn't work. That did work. You got really lucky. You hijacked an ATSD. Boy, that helps. Mm-hmm. And if the Death Star hadn't been destroyed, I mean, the Ewoks were going to be wiped out like completely. Mm-hmm. They had no yeah. chance of winning that battle. Yeah, they didn't um, work in the they, long run. Yeah, they more to just kind of cause confusion. And they had rebels with guns helping them. Yeah, you know. So yeah. I think there's a lot more going on in that in that whole Ewok scenario than. Maybe some people get it. Was, it was a Vietnam metaphor. Um, oh, the chaos yeah, yeah. of you know f- fighting in a forested oh, wilderness. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, so yeah, Mandalorian has its flaws. I personally enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, at the end, I don't know what at the uh, <laughs> and I still and like I enjoyed it, but then just like after thinking, oh, well, yeah, talk about the end. Talk well, at the very end, like after the last episode, I texted you a picture of Gumby or something, and then uh, uh, I don't know if you ever got the context, but it was meant to represent Gumby Luke, Gumby uh, Luke, yeah, all um, <laughs> uh, what a what UI a perfect... recreation, yeah. What a perfect sort of um, metaphor for Star Wars as it is. It's Luke, but it's fake. <laughs> it's Star Wars, but it's fake. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's um, the best we can do at this point. I know. Um, Luke comes in. It, it, the the whole. Uh, sorry, I don't. You you should talk. You should talk. I've been talking. Way well, too we got much. Dark Troopers, uh, which is throwback. Okay, the- so the documentary proved that they do know what Dark Forces is, mm-hmm. and they played it and. That makes me angry because they just should tell that story, frankly. But <laughs> yeah, some version of it, a variation, you know, that could be set within the Galactic Civil War. Um, These dark troopers. The human element was the problem. Um, okay, the Confederacy, the Trade Federation, the battle droid. Like, what are you? What are you on? The First Order intentionally it's like we're using real people we're not you you know we're not using clones but the human element was the problem in star wars really hmm. <laughs> yeah i don't know uh how do you maintain consistent morale amongst your forces and i feel like the empire empire maybe had difficulty doing so as sort of this oppressive militaristic sort of fascistic regime Right. Uh, that's and that's the problem. You you know, bad guys who who just are killing each other all the time is such a that's such a dumb thing to do. Is to like Darth Vader was the only one we saw killing his own people, and that's because he was the highest on the food chain, and he only did it when people really deserved it. But he was also just as quick to promote and praise. You know, that was a much more believable scenario of like, man, if I can if I do a good job and I get high up, the perks are massive. And if I make a real big blunder, yeah, I'm going to suffer. So it was like that right balance of like fear versus respect. I think it seemed like was really being struck nicely in the empire. Whereas in this one, they just <laughs> seem like a bunch of you know, there's really savages uh, killing each other on a on a whim. Um, 
Yeah, hard to yeah. hard to have like a, a brotherhood or comradeship amongst one another if that's what's happening. Yeah, if it's just sheer numbers and wars of attrition um, through the constant influx of conscripts and and we kind of see what that looked like in like solo for example um the, the process of signing up out of desperation into the, the imperial military uh you know luke wanted to be a pilot in the uh you know the academy the, the imperial academy for fighter pilots and and han wanted to do the same thing but he uh he failed or in uh, one hilarious deleted scene like he's shown crashing his um his tie fighter or something oh really uh, oh that's, yeah yeah that's awesome that's why he didn't remain a member of the uh, you know the fighter whatever they call that the flight academy flight academy uh, did they kill him for the infantry <laughs> well they didn't yeah they they sent him to the infantry which is why you see him on the ground um yeah it's a it's kind of funny that you know someone like han solo would suffer such a tremendous setback but it got him to where he was uh and yeah like that it's just unfortunately human life in the star wars galaxy is sometimes treated as as very disposable um, so yeah. you see the full range, the full gamut of what human potential is capable of, and uh, oftentimes very destructive things. Um, and, and yeah, this is yeah. maybe a bit of an over reliance on actual human characters in Star Wars because we see there's so many alien species as well. So it's fun to explore those elements. Yeah, yeah, it is practical reasons. And they and the aliens that the the costume the alien costumes they make in the show are, they're just really awesome except mm -hmm. then when they kind of become front and center like uh Rosario Dawson's uh, Ahsoka Tano the you know the creases in her foam antenna yeah. it's like mm. <laughs> wasn't wasn't totally seamless and yeah it's like the the whole concept you know with the CGI look and everything like you know when are we going to get to the days when this the computer elements can sort of exist coexist seamlessly with the live action elements and and not have it just be totally um uh, prohibitively expensive yeah. uh, and if, in order to do that well in order to do that it's just going to have to rely on a lot of automation a lot of simulation and and that requires lots of innovation computing power um and and yeah it's it, i think we'll get there it'll just take a, a long time and um, it will dramatically, I guess, change the, the landscape of filmmaking. Yeah. And we'll, we'll be asking ourselves a lot of interesting questions mm -hmm. as, a, um, as people by that point when, yeah. when we're able to do that. But it would um, be cool to see more diversity of species in Star Wars um, because we're able to like render these um, otherworldly designs just pre more i feel regular. like the prequels did mm -hmm. I, I you know and obviously there's nothing no harm in having humans be the center point because we're mm -hmm. humans we're the ones making the movie and that's yeah. that's our, our gateway our entry and mm -hmm. I, it's it's believable that humans are the most populous species in the galaxy you know that mm -hmm. they're maybe the ones who evolved the quickest when, when it came to organized government to yeah right um so you know i'm i but but right i it was yeah, um, more more alien 
alien main characters, maybe mm-hmm. even um, well, so like Ahsoka is a great, you know, she's a great thing. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, more Twilight, you know, Twi'leks. Well, the Twi'leks in season one, I hate. I mean, I hated those characters. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, their their antenna looked funky. Their Leku, sorry, um, were were pretty phony looking. And then mm-hmm. I, that actress is who played that Twi'lek. She was a uh, uh, the um, Harry Potter. Um, Oh. shapeshifter what was her name oh tonks tonks yeah yeah she was that tonks. was her that was her and she's okay. awesome as tonks but I, I and i know she was trying to be reprehensible so but she did too good of a job in my opinion i yeah <laughs> <laughs> she's just over really over the top um, interesting but uh yeah um the the head tail creatures kind of got truncated a little bit with with these attempts at creating those style makeup effects um i i uh, i don't know the seeing bib fortuna post credits was kind of cool and he's big <laughs> and fat like orange yep. the senator from the prequels yep. Uh, yep. and of course the prequels yeah they they were so colorful and vibrant because like they're dealing with um feature film scale budgets you know big, big huge triple a um watching the mandalorian documentary you don't get the sense mm-hmm. that they were limited other than not that, a okay. ton however though and this is some i wanted to what did hmm, i watching the show really did feel like they're in one room like that and because mm-hmm. because that's what they, they had one room with that 360 degree screen that they used made all the backgrounds out of and then they were building like every set in this one room um and for every episode uh other than the the exteriors and and stuff that they use but like they yeah every set had to be filmed within the confines of that one room so it could only be like a certain a certain size they only had so much room to move around before they'd eventually hit that you know that wall of background um interesting which maybe isn't that different but the prequels had a similar feel because of they were they were in blue rooms all the time um i don't know um, well, yeah, I mean, it, it didn't feel like feature film scale filmmaking for the most part, I, yeah, I, I thought. I, I mean, it, it was definitely more impressive than, uh, you know, basically anything we've seen in live action television, um, you know, Game of Thrones, maybe a, an exception, but like, um, it really pushed the the level of filmmaking for a TV show, but you know, it, it it didn't quite like reach the scale of like one of the films or, you know, right. the sequel films because because it just the budget wasn't there. You know, the yeah, the, I mean, the highest budget yeah. a TV show has ever had, but it's still, you know, twenty five million dollars an episode is yeah. not one hundred million dollars an episode. So. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, who knows um, what the future has in store? And I I am sort of a simp and uh, basic B when it comes to my entertainment. Uh, so give me all the, you know, high flying space wizardry and witchery uh, that um, that you want. And, uh, and I'll be fairly happy. I feel I, I don't think I'll ever tire of turning on a half hour to 40 minute episode of Star Wars um especially like live action star wars um on on disney plus 
Um, I'll be there for it, good or bad. Um, I'm just curious to see what they have in store because it's a vibrant universe and I, I enjoy exploring it. And I don't blame anyone who feels otherwise. And I totally understand if people start to feel uh, quite fatigued with all the upcoming um, sort of projected slate of Star Wars media that's on the horizon. Yeah, um, right. I I don't have a, a strong opinion about I mean, they had, showing all those titles. Uh, yeah, it was it was overwhelming, and I was like, "Oh boy, consume, consume <laughs> content, content." But then I, you know, I did say, "Well, look, all right, I, I know your gut reaction is to be cynical about this, but there's always that chance that each show will have merits, will, will stand on its own. It'll that it that'll it'll be a good story. Mm-hmm. Every single one of those shows could tell a really good, really cool story." You don't know yet. It's not out. It's don't. It's overwhelming. It's annoying, maybe. Um, and and I am, you know, more cynical about it. But I, yeah. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna sit here and on some high horse and like judge all these things. I, that's no point. I can watch it if I want to. I don't have to mm-hmm. watch it. I've, I never thought I would ever not watch anything Star Wars. But mm-hmm. just depending on how they release these things and when, I mean, yeah. poof, I might just, I might fall behind. I might, um, I might pick and choose. I, I don't know. Natalia Tena or Natalia Tina, T-E-N-A. It's kind of an interesting last name. She's the actress who plays uh, Xi'an, the Twi'lek or Twi'lek uh, from season one of the Mandalorian chapter six, The Prisoner. Uh, she was in, she plays Nymphadora Tonks in the Harry Potter films. Uh, she's a great actress. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, tremendous. Uh, yeah. she, she was in Game of Thrones briefly. Um, and... Uh, I, I think there's a lot of things. Uh, she, she's from the UK, Natalia. It's kind of a Eastern European sort of name, right? Uh, but uh, the there's a lot of things that I think storytellers can say using Star Wars as their vessel. Um, I don't know if... Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I, I would think. I would think. Um, it's a huge universe. Mm-hmm. So and I think people were were really wanting and ready to see the Mandalorian as that like we're we're getting away from Jedi we're getting away from the Force we're gonna just show some bounty hunting. Mm-hmm. They couldn't help themselves. That's well, not they they wanted to. Yeah. And and I'm and I'm not necessarily against that. It I, was their first outing. I I can't I couldn't imagine them going too obscure and off the beaten yeah. path. They were gonna have some some mentions. I mean, I thought it was it's you know the Mandalorian and a, a show about bounty hunters is a perfect way to reintroduce Boba Fett what Boba Fett was doing and how he how he ended up where he ends up and how he repairs a, a woman's stomach. I, I don't know, you know. I, um, <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Uh, but yeah, but like, but overall, perfect way to introduce Boba Fett. And then, you know, when he, the, but and he finds a force sensitive child and is told to go to Tython and, you know, if he's going to reach out and summon Jedi, who's going to get mm-hmm. that message? but luke skywalker so um yeah you know at least there's some you know degrees of of consistency and, and things mm-hmm. that do make sense uh the i sort of the whole a whole just kind of you know at the end of that uh, that final episode where this is it's just it sort of encapsulates what star wars is to people where Luke Skywalker shows up in the X-Wing and he's cutting his way through the droids and he gets to that room and the shots are, he, he reveals himself, his face. He pulls up the hood and it's, it's, it's moments. It's 
get the most dramatic shot, lighting, fog, lightsaber, hood. He stands stoically still like we're, you know, Luke Skywalker being shown as, as Gandalf, as in the same way that Gandalf, when Gandalf returns in mm-hmm. the two towers, like we, it's with some reverence mm-hmm. and, you know, an awareness of how fans feel about Luke Skywalker that gets those reactions, those, those tearful reactions um, as we see our hero again in the flesh, but all he does is stand there very still. And then he takes the baby and he walks away. And it's like, whoa, that was that was the dramatic reveal of Luke Skywalker in the in the flesh, quote unquote, again. And you're like, and Luke Skywalker didn't think to say, hey, who are you? Who are you guys? Nice to meet you. Are you the good guys in the situation? Are you the bad guys? What are you doing on this ship? This Imperial cruiser? That's interesting. Who's that you got there? Is he important? Is any of this important? Should I let Leia know? You know, oh, I'd better wow, this Imperial cruiser is really interesting. I'd better send a report to Leia right now. Um, you know, just like none of the, the things that the character that Luke would do, like none of them happen. It's just this very, hmm. it's moment. It's ah, it's so yeah, meta almost. It, it just, everything feels real meta and strange. And yeah, I, I guess, you know, you could say it's a tense situation for everyone involved because most of the people in that room don't really like Jedi very much. Uh, I, what was it, Fennec Shand? She, she was uncomfortable with, uh, you know, their, a Jedi potentially intervening in that situation. Um, I guess Bo-Katan, did she care uh, that Luke was there? I don't know. Uh, Mandalorian, she, yeah. I don't think, has Din Djarin. He doesn't have anything against Jedi necessarily. None of them None of them talked to him or did anything because all of those actors on set were treating yeah. him like fan. I mean, they were, the characters were becoming, the characters became fans. Hmm. They took on the fan mindset. They're like, whoa, it's Luke Skywalker yeah. rather than. Yeah. And then would Luke recognize that they were Mandalorians or. Yeah. I don't know. It's a. Uh, yeah it just wasn't very it I, didn't it didn't feel human <laughs> i guess well, i'm sorry i don't know i, I hate being that, that's fine i i thought the moments with Vasilka felt a little bit more human and personal yes. i thought she had a connection with dinjar was that your favorite oh, episode of the uh, I, I, yes yes it was okay. um a lot of that ahsoka stuff was really great and you know a nice mm-hmm. simple like uh, take back the village kind of a thing yeah yeah, I don't know. Um, hopefully, and she was we'll, great. Yeah, um, there'll be some kind of resolution to um, the, the, this capture of Moff Gideon, and then eventually, you know, finding out more about the state of the Empire and stuff. Luke maybe just wanted to make a quick in and out before anything else went down, um, and and get the child to a safe, you know, get Grogu to a safe place. Um, that probably was important to have as the priority. Uh, ooh, look at me stammering up a storm on this episode. No, no, you know, you're doing um, fine. Yeah, yeah I, and I, this we, is, we're sorry. getting I'm, I've been, into the weeds, I know. Because I have, yeah, it's hard not, I don't know, it's hard um, not to. But it's, yeah, we grew up, you know, immersed in Star Wars uh, expanded universe and a lot of like non-film stuff. Um, but, you know, we're going to kind of wrap it up here. And, yep. uh, you know, before the age when, we could kind of have a full-time um, stream of Star Wars content, you know, feeding into our eyeballs in cinematic form. Like we, uh, you know, we're kind of happy with, you know, either video games, books, comics, things like that. Uh, but now we do have the luxury of 
Star Wars streaming on television and in movie theaters fairly constantly. Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to complain too much, but I, I totally um, don't want people and creators to lose sight of the fact that like the, what made Star Wars special was the combination of elements, you know, spectacular visual effects, but also just the, the canny writing, these characters that were so compelling, the magical chemistry and interplay among the various heroes and villains. Uh, sense of destiny and the hero's journey. But I, I think it really just a combination of just the relatability of some of these characters, especially an archetype like Han Solo, who's just the everyman who's like, yeah. you know, he doesn't, he's not sure if he wants to be in this universe or <laughs> doing all this heroic stuff. I mean, you have Gosh. to have a that perfect chemistry. And I, I think sometimes it becomes a little bit too much of an imitation of that and not Ooh, the real yeah. thing. Oh, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I, I feel like that was the way it was kind of with the books and the expanded universe too. That was a bit of a pastiche um, itself. And people look back kind of nostalgically and fondly on that. And really was it as great as people remember it? I don't know. I mean, and there, kinda, maybe some, yeah. maybe somewhere like with, I, I, I didn't get too deep in the expanded universe because well, there was always a sense like, okay, a Star Wars book, it's just you don't hold it on the same level as the mm-hmm. film um yeah and now we're seeing things that are supposed to be held on the same level mm-hmm. having a, 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 that sort of imitation quality like you said yeah um All right well um yeah. any final thoughts dawson um is there anything within your lifetime that you feel matches up to like the the feelings that you get from the original trilogy Ooh. um like okay and like that's an interest yeah there's so many just interesting ways to think and talk about these things like when if you're gonna do you what's your goal if you're gonna make a new star Wars, is your if you're gonna make a new star wars is your goal to give people the feelings they had when they were kids or is your goal to just tell a solid story that's gonna they're gonna have new feelings about you know because the get feelings getting them all mixed up it's such it's just so interesting um and it's interesting in the documentary how what i heard over and over more than anything from all of the creative people was like oh i just felt like i was six years old again playing with my toys and i <laughs> um but yeah because obviously there's nothing wrong with n- nostalgia you know I'm I do more just to... trying to get at like your objective feelings about Star Wars as a whole. And I, I have to imagine um, viewing like those original films in isolation now is still just such a thrilling thing f- for you. I, uh, oh, the original am films? I, am oh. I wrong? Yeah. Oh, no, no. I Every time I go back, mm-hmm. exactly. If I want to feel nostalgic, if I want to, if I, I'll go back and watch those films because they're always going to be there. And, and they're, you know, and, we grow yeah. and we change and we become different people, but like they're, they're always going to be amazing. I'm always going to love them and I'm always going to remember how I felt, but there definitely is a phenomenon where, you know, if you have a really strong feelings about something, the more you keep going back to it to try to get that feeling back, it, it, mm-hmm. it will, the returns will diminish. It's like, it's interesting. We have kind of with music, the luxury of being able to open a a YouTube that's like, it's this song Mm -hmm. on repeat for 10 hours. Like you don't have to turn a record back or you don't have to put in a CD anymore, or you don't have to go to the concert to hear the music. Like there's, there's just, it's so easy to be able to consume ad nauseum your, all your favorite things. Um, 
but anyway, no, uh, like, so is there, is there something in my lifetime that has, so like, obviously the feeling I had watching star Wars as a child is the most powerful story. It's the most powerful experience I've had with the story. I think that's fair to say other than reading Narnia and Harry Potter comes close. Like reading, there are a lot of books that I constantly have like, or throughout my life, there were a lot of books that gave me very, very powerful feelings of like me getting engrossed in the story. Well, I, I don't even necessarily is. mean uh, feelings you had as a kid, but like feelings currently. I, I feel oh. like when I watch Star Wars now, uh, the the trench run scene, you know, oh, yeah. of, you know, the, the Battle of Hoth, the Endor sequences, like all oh, of those. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All and and the loose confrontation with Vader, with Vader and the Empire. Vader. Except the, oh my the bastardized, uh, you know, edits that they made to <laughs> the uh, Vader's final redemption. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but right. like all that stuff has only been elevated for me. I feel as I've gotten older, um, and and I I think I mean because it stands because it stands so far above everything that's come after it. You know, maybe yeah. to like. There's some moments in Rogue One that do kind of match up to that for me, and a few few in the sequel trilogy as well. I would say, um, but uh, just on a whole, like those those moments do stand the test of time from the original trilogy as like these center uh, pieces of of like modern cinema. Yeah, standing the test of time. Uh, I, every any time an, an Imperial officer wa- just walks and talks in those original trilogies, just the the groundedness of it you know captain nita admirable admiral piet like all these guys just like doing their best for their you know sort of uh the royal navy you know Mm -hmm. kind of um they're just so believable and lovable and wonderful and um Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know yeah there's Uh, a certain um authenticity and, and veritas to the fact that like when these guys were making these movies it's they weren't like oh my gosh i'm in a star wars they were just actors who were hired to play a part and they showed up on the day yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's so it's so funny to think about that versus the the, everyone coming on oh yeah this it's just it makes for really interesting storytelling um yeah and so i you know i and i think everything sort of has the same everything is gonna have the same okay when they make new lord of the rings stuff Oh, I'm in the Lord of the Rings TV show. Oh my gosh. Or like I'm in Pirates of the Caribbean five. Oh my gosh. And mm-hmm. I'm in the new Harry Potter. Oh my gosh. You know, uh, so new, new stuff just needs to kind of have, um, my, my favorite show I've seen that's like just gotten me excited about storytelling is barbarians on Netflix because okay. it's, it's really historically based. Yeah. Um, it very historically accurate and then tells an incredible story with really compelling characters that make interesting mm-hmm. decisions motivated by what's happening to them and yeah yeah and it's for it's it, it's spoken in the in german um and uh and I, all the romans actually speak latin so then the language um not only is it beautiful and amazing to listen to but like yeah. that's that's part of the story is that the germans they don't understand or the germans don't understand the romans so they have to have translators and that makes for interesting drama it's i don't know yeah. I, it's my favorite thing i've seen but i haven't watched a lot of tv i'm sure there's a lot of amazing stuff out there I don't know. I'm I'm sorry. I went long, way longer than you thought. No, but uh, no, no, I, lo- I love a... what you might say about you know when they were making Star Wars, it was just people making a movie, and now it's people 
people are kind of yeah there it becomes a big old love fest and i think honestly and this is a discussion for another time but it's it's sort of why you need something like the last jedi to come in and just sort of be this wrecking ball this postmodern deconstruction of the thing i hate says maybe this thing isn't so great after all uh, but yeah, no, no that's not, not we're not going to get into that. We're not, no, we're not going to get into that. That's not what Ryan Johnson was trying to do. <laughs> that's sure? not what any of them were trying to do. No. I mean, he loves Star Wars, of course, but I think he he the whole the whole current phenomenon of the self reverence and just yeah, self uh, you know is is just overblown to him, and he wanted to like take the piss out of people who feel that way. And he did it know. in the worst way possible. He told a stupid, crappy story that didn't make any in logical sense with itself. It did. There's a certain yeah. Well, why not? Why you can have respect for something? I mean, you just ugh, the last Jedi aside, because like no, it's a, they just they decide. You have the chance to tell. You're going to tell the sequel, you're going to make a sequel trilogy for Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And they didn't come up with a good story to begin with. They just sure. were flying by the seat of their pants. Because they needed to make something. Yeah, because they needed they to got make the something. property. They got the property to. they needed to make something. So, you know, like, I don't have hatred for Ryan Johnson at all. Mm -hmm. I, I think he's a perfectly fine director and, and person or whatever. And I, but just, yeah, so the, the, they were. But like, how do you, how do you get rid of that sanctimony? How do you get rid of the preciousness? You don't need to. You don't need to. Just tell a good story. Okay. I I agree. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, hope, let's see what becomes of this new Lord of the Rings, you know, stuff that they're going on at, at Amazon. And, yeah. you know, there's, there's a lot of history to that world. Yeah. Tell a good story. Exactly. Like, that's it. All right. Well, thanks, Dawson, for joining me on episode uh, 66 what a 66 of the podcast uh conversations about animation uh, is there anywhere online people you you would direct people to find you oh youtube yeah uh, my channel is a channel now i guess mm -hmm. um dawson elke yeah no oh, you can find him there uh, you can find the Thoughtcast at Thoughtcast on Twitter and Instagram or Thoughtcast.com, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Um, you can find me, Philip Elke, at Philip Elke on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and yeah, it's uh, happy 2021, everyone. Hopefully we're all ready for the new year. Hope you had a good Christmas, a good holidays. Uh, happy New Year. Um, yeah, Dawson, uh, any, any last, uh, no word, no sign no off last words. This is the way we have spoken. Yes, uh -huh. Um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the conversation. I hate getting, I hate getting, I don't know. I don't, no, I, I, it's, I probably a made of... a lot of illogical statements throughout this whole recording because I, it's unprepared and I don't have that practice that so many darn people on YouTube do preparing video essays about well, <laughs> things work. All that, that stuff. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. It's silly. I eat it up, but like at the same time, there are more important things that are sort of that that make the world run on time um but stories are important certainly so it is worth having conversation um yeah podcast thank you so much for listening have a magical day a wonderful week and as always warm hugs happy 2021